Welcome to Roundhill Radio, the podcast from Roundhill Community Church. Through our conversations, we discover the holy and the ordinary, find moments of grace and peace, and redefine what we're talking about when we talk about faith. Welcome to Roundhill Radio. I'm Leslie. I'm Ed. Good morning, Ed. Good morning, Leslie. This is our last podcast of 2020. Wow. We've made it. The podcasts have been great. Let's hope to hope for a better and brighter new year. Yes. I very much so. <laughs> much better. I was, I was thinking back to uh, this whole year a little bit and thinking back to the video series. I was going through our YouTube channel. Mm. Uh, the video series. Do you remember that it was 2020, this exact same year that we did a video every day in Lent? Oh, we did. Does I that, do remember. Does that not feel like three years ago. It feels like a very long time ago. Wow. That was on the edges of my memory. Yeah. I looked, I was, I was looking through the, the videos and I found this whole list of Lent. I was like, Oh, my goodness. I remember those. Those were really fun, but yeah. that feels like forever ago. And we were doing um, that just in the early months of the pandemic and oh my goodness gracious. Yeah, finished yeah. up right, right then. Um, another little callback I wanted to bring up because I spent last afternoon and evening uh, doing most of the edit for the our Christmas Eve service, our virtual mm. online Christmas Eve service. And I was editing O Come All Ye Faithful that we were talking about last week here on the podcast. Yes. If you haven't watched that episode, please go do it now. Um, <laughs> and I got literal chills listening to it. Uh, with the David Wilcox harmonization oh, and Scott nice. and Risa singing their hearts out. And I just, oh, it was, it was, I'm so excited for you guys to hear it once it comes out on, on Christmas Eve. It's going to, and you know, I was so inspired by it that, so I've, I've included two brief reflections in that Christmas Eve message. And one of them is really around, Oh, come all you faithful. I so. realized that uh, about halfway through the edit. And then I had to rearrange everything because you <laughs> led so beautifully into that hymn that I thought, well, I have to put that right before we sing on Come All You Faithful. Oh, perfect. So oh. That's, what, that's what we did. We had a little improvisation, like, a little, little game of cups. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. So it's fun. Today's hymn our final hymn in our in our Christmas Carol series, which I think has been I've been having so much fun doing. It's been this, great. Um, mm. Is a little town of Bethlehem, mm. um, which is such an interesting story of pastor and musician collaboration. Um, yes, funny story that our own Dan Haug, the Reverend Dan Haug, last week sent me the story of this hymn. Because as he was leading our meditation group via Zoom, which meets on Thursdays, they've been doing their meditation group based on Christmas carols. Wonderful. And he was looking up the story and he sent it to me saying, this is an amazing story. You guys should talk about this on the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> well. Synergy. Perfect. We yes. are. We already plan on doing so. So I have his printout. I have our wonderful book. Oh, good. Um, so the quick sort of uh, is cliff notes. I think people say anymore. My generation calls them cliff notes. So the quick summary yeah. of uh, A Little Town Bethlehem is that the, the text was written by a pastor in Boston and in uh, classic style, he says, oh, I have a text here, director of music write something for it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. 48 hours. Do it. Yeah. 
basically. And so uh, there's wonderful uh, 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 text about the musician just panicking. <laughs> I mean, if, if there is not a more classic illustration of the pastor musician relationship, <laughs> I don't know what is. Uh, in his own words, this is the um, Lewis. Uh, is it Redner Lewis or Lewis Redner? Forgive me, Lewis. I, I Redner. think Lewis Redner. Lewis Redner. Um, he says. The simple music was written in great haste and under great pressure. We were to practice it on the following Sunday. Mr. Brooks came to me on Friday and said, Redner, have you ground out that music yet to a little town of Bethlehem? I replied, no, but he should have it by Sunday. (laughs) On the Saturday night previous, my brain was all confused about the tune. I thought about my Sunday school lesson more than I did about the music. Huh. But I was roused from sleep late in the night, hearing an angel strain whispering in my ear. Oh, perfect. Being a piece of music paper, I jotted down the treble tune as we have it now. And on Sunday morning before going to church, I filled in the harmony. Of course he did. Of course he did. Of course he did. <laughs> this cracks me up. Neither Mr. Brooks nor I ever thought the carol or the music to it would live beyond that Christmas of 1868. Wow. Isn't that a great story? You know, I'm glad that the dynamic lives on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, some things haven't changed. Some things haven't changed. Leslie, by the way, I've written up a little something for Christmas Eve. Oh, great. (laughs) I'll get it to you by Wednesday. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? Well, and, you know, Phillips Brooks was such an imposing figure. I mean, he was the pastor of Trinity Episcopal Church in Boston, which his statue is outside that congregation. He was such a, a prominent citizen, you know, as well as a great leader. And he'd had this trip to the Holy Land in 1865. So he really had, it's funny because he came back in 1865. I'm not sure exactly when the text was written, but it sounds like he sat on it for a while and then then launched it on poor Lewis Redner, you know, just at the last possible minute, like three years later, he could have given it to him before that. But Right. Uh, he was just taking his time, enjoying, yeah. working through the text at a ruminating. scholarly rate, ruminating. <laughs> then, oh, here. Yeah. You can whip something up, right? <laughs> well, it, it sure worked. I mean, it's amazing that it, I, I think for so many people, this probably is one of the sweeter carols. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, it has this lovely softness to it. And um, and I and as I understand the background, uh, Phillips Brooks was on this trip to the Holy Land and was riding on horseback with a group of other people, and they arrived at Bethlehem. And apparently, there was a church service that evening in the village, held within a basilica that had been constructed during the time of Constantine, the Emperor of Rome. So he was emperor during the fourth early part of the fourth century when Christianity moved from kind of an outlier religion to sort of basically the state-sponsored religion of the Roman Empire. Mm. So he had constructed this basilica, which was still in use. And I guess Phillips Brooks went to the Christmas Eve service there and and noted later that it started at 10 p.m. and concluded at 3 a.m. So I'm thinking he might have composed that uh, carol while he was sitting there during that five-hour service. He had the time. <laughs> he had some time. <laughs> Heavens, my goodness. I love that. Well, he's described in our in our favorite book we've been using, Then Sings My Soul. The first 
line of this, you know, the first line of this actually reminds me of the beginning of the Christmas Carol. Mm. Uh, you know, was it Marley was dead to begin with? Yes. You can't you can't beat that. But this <laughs> tries at at nearly six foot six, weighing three hundred pounds. <laughs> Phillips Brooks cast a long shadow. Oh, gee, perfect. You're going to keep reading. <laughs> an imposing figure, right? Imposing figure. Can you imagine that guy lumbering his way to Jerusalem? <laughs> oh, my heavens. You know, on horseback? I mean. Oh, poor yeah. horse. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, he was he was really regarded as one of the great preachers of the 19th century. There weren't many who were held in the same esteem that he was. And uh, I don't know if he ever wrote any other hymns or carols, but his published sermons were really widely distributed. And, you know, Leslie, I was thinking about as I was reading, rereading this carol uh, in anticipation of today, I, I have to say that, first of all, little little fun fact for me, which is simply that this carol contains my favorite line in all of the Christmas carols. And in fact, it's the only line I think that I quote from time to time in other months of the year. So it's it's one carol that for me is, is good for 12 months of the year. And it's this very last uh, hymn, I'm sorry, very last stanza, where he says, um, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray, cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell, O come to us, abide with us, our God, Emmanuel. And the thing about this um, hymn that strikes me is that it's actually that line picks up a thought that he has mentioned earlier. He says, where meek souls will receive him still, mm -hmm. the dear Christ enters in. So when Christ enters in, you know, those, those habits and thoughts and attitudes in us that are not loving uh, or just, they have to make their way out. Mm -hmm. And I really love that, you know, that this is, it's really about creating a space for love in our lives. And I think this is really the, the whole story of Jesus, right? He's consistently working in people's lives to create that spirit. So I really, I really love that thought. I, I also am wondering what the influence of the Civil War was on Phillips Brooks, if at all, while he was thinking of this, because I believe that he was traveling in December of 1865. So the war had ended in April, and of course, President Lincoln had been assassinated. Uh, Reconstruction was, you know, in such, such a difficult period for the nation. And here he makes this trip to the Holy Land, interestingly enough, right after the Civil War, and then writes this. And, and I just think about him, again, challenging everyone to sort of cast out those things about us, which are not loving, and compassionate and just and replacing them with things that are, which is certainly something that the whole nation had to do. Absolutely. And that's reflected in actually the, the original fourth verse. Mm. Um, you just read the original fifth, but there's one that's left out, which goes where children pure and happy pray to the blessed child, where misery cries out to thee, son of the mother mild, where charity stands watching and faith holds wide the door. The dark night wakes, the dory, the glory breaks and Christmas comes once more. Mm. 
Isn't that beautiful? That triumphant. Yeah. Yeah. To, it's beautiful. Oh, look. Oh, Tomoe Faithful. It's a, a wonderful end to, uh, to a verse. I love that. The dark night wakes, the glorious yes. rakes, and Christmas comes once more. Yeah. Isn't that great? That. Yeah, I get chills listening to that. It's it's such a great image. And he loves that image of darkness. You know, he he talks about that in the dark street shineth the everlasting light. And mm-hmm. but the hymn, the hymn does admit there are things about our world that aren't totally illuminated or illuminating. And so there's something magical that continues to happen. And um, it's one of the things that's been interesting about this, Leslie, is to see how many verses or stanzas haven't been included over the years in these dis- different Christmas carols. Like at some point someone said, I don't like that anymore. It's gone. <laughs> right. Know? Right. Well, and you were saying that in England, they, they, this isn't sung to this tune at all. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, the tune is forest green and it's a jaunty, you know, tune. I mean, it's really bright. Right. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I've, I've sung it there when I, li- I lived in the United Kingdom for three years. And so every Christmas I used to sing that tune uh, to this particular carol and it was lovely. But the thing about a little town of Bethlehem sung to the tune we're familiar with is that there is this very quiet, meditative softness to it. And honestly, Christmas can be so out of control, you know, just like charging ahead in all of its you know, unbridled commercialism. I really like this. I, I don't know how you feel about that. How does this tune strike you? Oh, absolutely. I I find myself every Christmas really drawn to the contemplative quiet moments. You mm. know, the, I always love, I mean, for me, I, I want Christmas Eve. If it, if it was only for me, it would just be <laughs> one long candlelight moment. You know, like I just, just draw that out. Give me all the lullabies. Give me all the, you know, there's to me, this tune, there's almost something mystical about it. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. the way that he sort of, he weaves his way. We have these sort of these chromaticisms that, you know, right in that first full measure where we have, you know, we started in A, which is the third, uh, skill degree. We're in F major here. And then we go, we go to a G sharp and that's not a normal place necessarily to go, huh. um, right at the beginning of a tune. For mm. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of the times hymns begin on tonic. They begin on our home nate note. So in this case, it would have been F. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, we have a lot of these moments. And if you look at the accompaniment that he, the harmonization he filled in, there's a lot of really chromatic things happening that make it, it seem like he, you know, he was trying to evoke this feeling of, of something being, it's not a hearty hymn, you know, it's not right. a, it's not something that just sort of sits and is in its, in its major key. You know, we think of, I mean, pretty much everyone I'm flipping through the hymnal now, you know, joy of the world is completely diatonic away in a manger. Uh, pretty much a, a lot of them, right. Yeah. Have follow a certain structure. Um, and this one just, has it a really just a really exciting exciting thing happening we go into we have some a major moments um you know it's really it's we could get really technical about it i won't uh but it's 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 very evocative i think it conjures up this sort of this smoky image Mm. um for me when i when i hear this tune and to you know i think about 
what I, and if I had to guess what happened when, when this text went to the UK, I could imagine they thought, well, we love this text. The easiest way to get it to our congregation because the meter fit fits, we'll yes. sing it to four screen because it sure. fits four screen. Yep. And that's a nice way for congregations who might not be so open to new hymns. Sure. It's a familiar tune, familiar tunes to them. So they would have mm-hmm. sung it to that. Sure. But it definitely doesn't, um, I, you know, how still we see the light, you know, it doesn't quite have the same. (laughs) It doesn't feel that still, right? It does not feel that still. It is not, it is not definitely not uh, still. (laughs) Well, one of the things I think you're really putting the finger on, you know, I guess I would use the word contemplative to, you know, describe the mood of this, of this particular carol. And I think that the thing that I love that Phillips Brooks has captured is that here's this town, it's sleepy, it's rural, there's nothing going on in this place. You know, that's, that's the background, except there is something going on in this place and it's so quiet and hidden and removed from the, you know, the mainstream of, and in this case of Roman culture, 2000 years ago, who would have noticed Mm -hmm. in a sense, God is, is sneaking in through the back door. And this tells us a lot about God as well as about Jesus. I mean, it really, he's raising a lot of very interesting theological questions. And this is a little aside, but one of the things that I've been reading over the past couple of weeks is a book about something that happened during another terrible time of pandemic. This was in the 14th century. There was a terrible, there were always plagues in a sense. Uh, early Roman Empire, you know, right up into the Middle Ages. And there was a plague in the 14th century that afflicted Europe and England. And it was a terrible time. And yet in the middle of it, some of the greatest books on contemplative prayer uh, that have ever been written were created in the middle of that, I guess you could call it a pandemic. Mm-hmm. And um And so again, at a time when it didn't look like much was happening that was good and hopeful and illuminating, it was. And those those authors and those books that were prominent then are still prominent now. People are still turning to them. And here, this is what Brooks does. He reaches back into that story and he says, oh, you know, it didn't look like much was happening there, but here it was, you know. I just really love that thought. I think that's really interesting. And a way that that <laughs> that Lewis illuminates the text, I find really interesting too, because I think there some he identified in the text something really interesting, which is that the last little phrase of each stanza is a mm-hmm. really important moment. Mm. So he precedes that with an octave leap, which if you're not a musician, is can be tricky to sing. It's it's a long jump. Uh-huh. to go in this case from a, a middle D to a treble D. Um, and it really is highlighting, you're going to take a breath there. There's a comma there. So everybody naturally breathes. And so it sets aside this little phrase, you know, um, you know, as a, as a special moment, you know, hmm. in, in, in organ playing, you know, we can't, we can't hit the key harder to play louder. Um, right. Every key is the same, the same, you know, if, if our registration is the same, the volume is the same. So one way that we illuminate uh, 
and make a note seem louder is by giving a space before it. Oh, so we call it an, yeah, it's a little sort of a gothic accent kind of moment. And so you have, you give the silence because nothing, nothing is louder than something that follows silence. Sure. Right. So he gives us this little lift moment and then the final like kernel of wisdom from right. our hymn tune. Oh, that's text. lovely. I'm glad you shared that. That helps me to actually hear this differently and appreciate what he was trying to do musically. I do feel like I have this thing in the in the middle of my mind that I feel like there's the comma after still. I want to say I sometimes feel like I see it before. So I've been sitting here the whole time going, is that where's that comma? Hmm. Or if I had an or an organist friend, where Meeksos will receive him, still the dear Christ enters in. I want to yes. say I had an or I had an organist friend that maybe would always put it early uh-huh. or something. I I'll have to report back, friends. <laughs> I'll do some digging. It's <laughs> a funny thing. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I think the other beautiful thing about this Christmas Carol is there's. It's as. It's as if this very a quiet dance is going on between whatever God is doing and whoever we are, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I guess that's why I really like that phrase where meek souls will receive him still the dear Christ enters in, you know, mm-hmm. it's, this, it's a partnership. Absolutely. And uh, it's very promising. I think, especially at this time, yeah, I've been thinking in the last couple of weeks as news about the vaccine distribution. Well, it's creation, first of all, of course, which is nothing less than stupendous. Uh, followed by its distribution is is definitely bringing hope. I mean, I can feel that it's it's for some people it's changing their mood. It's giving them a different sense of the future. And then I was thinking, uh, as wonderful as it is and essential for the future, it, there are there are so many things about our world that a vaccine can't correct. And we learned this during the last year. You know, the deeper inequities that we have in our world, especially in this country. Uh, these things are not going to be healed by a vaccine. The vaccine will put us in a position to do something about them. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think that for for me, I look at this hymn and think this is sort of the spiritual side of the vaccination. You know, there's the, the, vac- the vaccination that will help us to move beyond our fear uh, of COVID-19. But there's another kind of infusion that we need. And to me, for Phillips Brooks, I think this is the infusion of this grace that he sees kind of just coming into the world very quietly and very silently. I think there's hope there, too. It's not like we have to do the big thing. You know, the dear Christ enters into a meek soul's life. It doesn't have to be, you know, ta-da. <laughs> so <laughs> I take hope in that. I love that. And I think... I couldn't add any more to that. So with that, I will I will thank you all for, for joining us on this hymn journey this December. Here, I have here. a feeling that we'll do probably some more musical-based yes, podcasts we will. going forward because this was so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned a lot from you, Leslie. It's been oh, it's been a very rich experience. Well, likewise too, because you know, I've played these hymns every year for a solid 20 years. And after mm. a while, you stop paying attention yeah uh, and it feels really nice to just take a pause and really look at it and i think i'll play them differently from now on so that makes oh. it really fun so thank you for that well blessings and, and blessings to all of our audience for this uh christmas season and here is indeed to a healthier holier happier new year amen thank you ed thank you leslie 
Thanks for listening. Round Hill Radio is brought to you by the friends and members of Round Hill Community Church. For more information, please visit roundhillcommunitychurch.org.